these are the things that will give you the skills to to navigate the next localized or global dip. Whilst it sounds like a cheesy line, anybody out there that's a business owner listening to this, never stop learning and really get help even before you think you need it. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Rob Green. Rob has almost two decades experience in the recruitment industry, recruiting lawyers in 40 countries. He launched his career in London with Badenoch and Clark. Since then, he's worked in various places around the world, including the Cayman Islands and Hong Kong. In fact, in 2013, he took over the Hong Kong branch of his company. They rebranded as GRM Search, and they won 15 industry awards over eight years, working with some of the most coveted legal firms, multinational corporations, and financial institutions in the world. Rob opened GRM Search's first office in South Africa in 2014 in Johannesburg and moved his whole family there by 2017, where they've settled in Cape Town to really spearhead the growth of the business into the African continent. Rob is also a podcaster. He's got a podcast for the legal sector in Africa called Welcome to My House. Rob, welcome to you. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you very much, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your podcast, which as a I mentioned to you before, I, I listen to religiously. I think it's fantastic and it's a real honor to be on it. Oh, thank you. That's nice of you to say. Do you remember how we first uh, were introduced to each other? I tell you what, I, do, well, I don't remember exactly how we first met, but I do remember that your, your voice on the DVDs that we had um, were, were my training program for anyone new coming into what was then CML, but now is, uh, is obviously GRM. And uh, yeah, we've come a long way. I don't even know if I've got something that could play those DVDs anymore, to be honest. But uh. Hilarious. Well, they were actually audio CDs. They weren't even DVDs. Um, the, it, man, so you must have been one of my original customers because I published those uh, back in 2007 or something, 2008. I think I bought them in 2008. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe beginning so, of 2009, yes. So in the days before like podcasting was a thing and before even webinars, I did these teleseminars where there were like virtual training sessions via telephone conference and recorded those and I published them as this audio uh, series. And uh, I sold a lot of those, actually. It didn't, it didn't make me rich, unfortunately, but it did introduce me to some fantastic people, uh, including yourself. So how, how, could you explain, how did you actually use those in your staff training? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, we, uh, I, I love them. I've, you know, I mean, I'm not just, uh, this isn't the, uh, the Mark Whitby Appreciation Society, but I really <laughs> did love, I did love the, the, uh, the, 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 the recordings. Uh, because I've, I felt that you really spoke my language when it came to how to tackle recruitment and how to um, uh, train staff from the very beginning in terms of what was important for the candidate, what was important for the client, how to how to structure a call, how to headhunt. I remember being one of the discs uh, where you spoke to a Scottish gentleman and he also had some really fascinating input. So when I got the DVDs and then the subsequent um, printouts that we had to make of the booklets, um, we used them as the, the initial introduction whenever we hired someone. Regardless of experience, they, I would give them to them to start the, the first week almost, say, work your way through those DVDs. And, um, and, and that worked really well. Um, I, yeah, instrumental in, in some of our success, absolutely. Oh, amazing. That's so cool. It's great to hear. So I don't know where they are now, by the way. Yeah, no, (laughs) exactly. They're no longer in circulation. I have some copies. But um, so listen, tell me your story, Rob, like from getting into recruiting almost 20 years ago to to now, like, can you give give me a quick overview? Absolutely. Um, Fairly common story for us recruiters, obviously, in terms of falling into recruitment. But out of university, my first job was in an M&A department, um, a very busy M&A department for a listed company that was busy buying up lots of its smaller competitors. So it was a very exciting time, and I was doing a lot of the, obviously, the basic due diligence work. That was interesting uh, and exciting. But then I moved on 
into a uh, into a, a marketing role and then moved into another listed company and to be honest i think you know i i after about two and a bit years outside out of university i was really a bit i don't know i was just a bit bored i was a bit bored of the bureaucracy really and i and i went to see you know uh, i went to see a recruiter at michael page and i still remember his name david love so if he's listening to this and he's still in recruitment, I mean, you can't forget the surname Love, obviously. So, <laughs> That's um, a great name. <laughs> and, uh, and we were chatting away and I said to him um, something along the lines of, I am fed up with just earning a salary and a 3% bonus every year. I really want to be in charge of my own destiny. I want to be in charge. I want to be paid. The harder I work, the more money I want to make. And that's exactly the line I said to him. And he sat there and he looked at me and he said, have you ever thought about recruitment? Which at that point I hadn't. Um, and he did what I'm assuming is a, a standard line with, with Paige, where they said, go away and have a look at some of, the, uh, some of our competitors. And here's a list of them. See what you think and then come back and see if you want to have an interview. Anyway, long story short, I was going down the road with them. I, I think we were at third interview stage. And in my head, I pretty much decided I was going to move into recruitment uh, without really knowing too much about it. Um, but I went to a friend in the business I was currently in, and I said to her, look, just to give you the heads up, I'm probably going to leave, and, uh, and I'm going to be looking, uh, I'm looking to move into a recruitment firm. And she looked at me and uh, wide-eyed and said, my husband is a, is a manager of a recruitment team. Uh, in London, central London, you must speak to him as well. Uh, I thought she was just doing me a favour, but little did I know that she had a kitchen to pay for and he needed a referral fee. So, the, um, <laughs> but uh, I went anyway. That was Baynock and Clark, and I went there, and it's a wonderful moment in my my well, the, the kickstart in my recruitment career, but also it's a nice memory that I love thinking back on occasionally. So I went into Baynock and Clark in central London, just off Fleet Street. So anyone who's ever worked there, I know there's a Facebook group for X, B, and Cers, but uh, anyone they know that the reception is underground. So you had to go into the dungeon, and I sat there with um, with the the receptionist, and then this guy walked past me, or a candidate walked past, what I now know would have been a candidate, and then a guy walked past to interview the said candidate, and I just I I recognised the guy. It was someone I grew up with. Um, and I hadn't seen for 15, well, since primary school, so 15, <laughs> 20 years or so. And I, and I said to the receptionist, is that, uh, is that David Fleming? And she said, yeah, 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 he's one of our directors. And I said, oh, and I thought, smiled. I still remember it clearly. And I said, she said, why do you know him? And I said, yeah, yeah, well, we went to primary school together. Our parents <laughs> were friends and, you know, but well, I've not seen him for ages. And she went, oh, I'll go and get him. I was like, no, 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 he's... He's obviously working. Um, don't interrupt. And she was like, no, she was insistent. No, no, I'll, let, I'll get him. So I got moved into a, the interview room ready for my interview. And in comes one of the directors, who I know is still in recruitment. So if he's listening, hi, David. Um, <laughs> the, um, and uh, we, we just had a good, you know, fat catch-up. It was really, really good. And then the guy who interviewed me, who subsequently became a teammate, Danny Nelson, he... Uh, he walked in and he said to me subsequently that he had a bit of a shock because he, he was sort of coming in to give me a hard time and why do you want to work for us and all this kind of – and there he is, there I am, having a, a laugh and a joke with one of his bosses. So it was uh, – I don't know. After I left that, I left with a really warm glow and I thought, this is the company for me. This is definitely going to be right for me. So long story short, I, that's how I got into to recruitment. So. And you know what? I think, from like most of us, the first day was the. Uh, this is going to sound so cheesy, but it was the day that changed my life. It really did, because I walked in. I was in uh, my old job was, uh, you know, doing marketing, but I was surrounded by, you know, nice people, but stuffy old guys, you know, who are all in their fifties and sixties and what have you. And 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 I was the youngster, um, and I walked into the Baden and Clark for the first day. And the, I think the sale, the two sales floors they had, they both had 200 people on them. So I walked wow. in and it was just a cacophony of noise, you know, just 
I mean, it was just, I, I came alive. It was like everyone on the phone. I mean, I don't think anyone sent emails. Then, you know, they might, yeah. you know, the odd email. But um, it was just a wall of noise and everyone young and shouting. And you could see in the corner, people were celebrating deals and high-fiving and ringing the bell. And I thought, I am home. This is amazing. So, um, yeah, I took to it like a duck to water. I listened to intently to every uh, every uh, training session i mean i'd already had a job right so it was kind of a second career so i you know i knew that, that i really had to give it a good go uh and you know they trained they they taught me everything they trained me and many others i mean you know i hats off to badenock and clark they really trained us exactly the the right way to do recruitment i thought and um and yeah that was a I got put into one team, then moved into banking operations, and it was some of the best times of my life. I mean, Amazing. celebrating every deal and... It sounds you know, like it was it was meant to be. You were like... It really was. Yeah. yeah it, it, I think it really was. It was it, it, I'd found my home, uh, definitely, okay. and I still love it to this day. Awesome. So you, it sounds like you've got a really strong foundation there. How did that lead to you you know, becoming a business owner and, and moving in, uh, abroad? Well, I, I, um, I really wanted to leave London. I, I, you know, like a lot of us, you know, I know you live away from where you were originally from, uh, you know, and, uh, and a lot of, I really wanted to travel. So I had a, I, I, by the age of, I, th- I don't know if it still happens, but then, um, you know, 15 odd years ago or so, if you wanted to go to Australia as a Brit you, on a work permit for a year, you had to go before the age of 30. So I was, I think, 29 at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a vision and a ticket booked. I was going to Sydney at the end of that year before I turned 30 to do a backpacking or, you know, maybe working. I don't know. So then I – so I, I, I loved recruitment, and uh, but I was – the, the draw to travel was more – and then I met my uh, a girlfriend and my now wife um, oh, cool. uh, in the February, and we were, I was going to leave in the December. So I met her, and uh, yeah, and then she she's South African, and she said to me, we had a conversation. You know, we were just dating, and then she said, I said, look, I'm going to go at the end of the year. You know, what do you want to do? And then anyway, long story short, came around. She said, do you have to go to Australia? Um, because I've got a friend who lives in the Cayman Islands. And I was like, mm, quick Google search, Cayman, okay, big financial district, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then I, went, I had a really good client uh, at uh, one, of my, uh, one of my banking clients, and, who, and we would often go for lunch in Canary Wharf and, and share, you know, secrets and gossip and what have you. And I said to her, look, I'm really, you're the only person who knows this, but I'm, I'm thinking of leaving. I'm leaving the country and I'm going to, uh, you know, and we're probably going to go to the Cayman Islands, but I don't really know much about it. And she was like, really? Because the guy in the office next door to me has just come back from Cayman. You should actually, you should, uh, you know, and this was in a funds team in the bank and you should speak to him. And I, so I called him and I said, uh, and he said to me, so what, I, I don't remember his name. <laughs> but I, he, he, he had an, another monumental conversation with me where he just said, well, what do you want to do there? Do you want to go there and just rent out jet skis or do you want to carry on with your career? And I said, I'd really ideally carry on with my career. And then he said, right, there's only one recruitment company on the island that's worth talking to, and that's a guy called Steve McIntosh at CML. Give him a call. And I did, you know, in true recruiter fashion. That afternoon, you know, find the time zone. A message Steve called him, had a couple of interviews with Steve, and before you know it, he'd offered me a job in the Cayman Islands. And I remember going back to my girlfriend and went, "You were serious about Cayman, right?" <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah." I said, "Well, good, because I've just got a job. I've got the contract." Uh, and, she, and then it all happened. And then in the December, we left the UK, and then in the January, we were we were there in the Cayman Islands, which I'd never been to. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I knew it was the home of hedge funds, but I don't know whether that what that meant. Um, and uh, and yeah, I got there, and it was a bit of a wake up call, and it was a real, um, it was a change of environment, really, because obviously with Baynock and Clark, you're talking about. I think at the time they probably had 15 offices throughout the UK, one in Luxembourg, 
and they were looking to grow globally. That you know, we had 400 people in the London office. You know, it was a big, big firm. And I moved to Cayman to work for CML, which had three people in it. And you know, and I, I could see the beach from my office. Wow. And I'm thinking, what have I, what, what have I done? <laughs> Where have I gone? Um, and Steve was great. And uh, you know, and shout out to Steve McIntosh. Um, who is still in Cayman and still involved in the, in the business? Um, he uh, he was great. He you know him and I had a discussion about doing legal recruitment, and then he just let me grow and let me fly. And and to be honest, that that was you, you know being able to you know shape my own day and style and and and, and everything really really made me the recruiter I am today. I think um, so. Yeah, Cayman was great, and 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 it was just before. It was a year or so just before Lehman Brothers collapsed. So oh, anyone yeah. out listening to this who knows the, the glory days of, of recruitment. Where, and also I was, in an, I was in an offshore market that came in Bermuda, Turks and Caicos, you know, uh, and those kind of islands that we were recruiting for that, uh, that were just booming. You know, the law firms that I was recruiting for I think were going from I mean, I'm not joking, going from 30 people to 300 people in 18 months. You know, there was just phenomenal recruitment. We couldn't get lawyers to the islands quick enough. Wow. Um, And, and, you know, we grew the – it was so good. I mean, any of my – I still talk to a few of my ex-teammates that that we put together, and we had a really, really good time. Then then I was asked to become a partner in the business – by by the two business to the to Steve McIntosh and, and, and Dave Roberts, who was the other partner on the island, but on the proviso that I would go and set up another office, uh, their second office. Okay. So I would become a partner in that that business, and I was fine with that. By that point, my then fiance was uh, just had had enough of island life, which you know it can get to you. You know, it, it sounds idyllic, right? You know, living on a Caribbean island, um, uh, but you know, you run out of things to do pretty quickly. So um, we, uh, Steve and, and myself, we sort of did a bit of a recce around a few places and did a bit of research. We got on a plane and we went to see uh, Singapore and Hong Kong and we decided that Hong Kong ticked more boxes. Um, and um, and then obviously the, the Lehman Brothers collapse was going, uh, you know, the world was going into meltdown. Yeah, there, yeah. Was a, there was a quick discussion around whether we should really do this and whether we should leave Cayman and whether, you know, whether the time was right to set up a new office. But I, uh, myself, I said, look, the world is going to bounce back at some point. And, and my thinking was that China would bounce back quicker and faster than others. And, uh, and you know, luckily for me, Steve and David uh, agreed uh, with my thought process. And, um, yeah, I got to got to Hong Kong shortly after getting married in two thousand and nine, and um, uh, and yeah, I mean that was a challenge in itself because we'd only I'd only been there once for four days, so I didn't really and we didn't really know anyone, um, and obviously we were in the middle of a global financial crisis. So, oh, man, so um, <laughs> I I went to a fortress, which is a well known uh, electronic store in, in Hong Kong. Bought a printer and a laptop. The printer, I actually, I, I, I didn't really know the town, at that, uh, the city at that point. But I, uh, anyone who's been to Hong Kong knows that there's the mid-level escalators, and I was in a house, uh, an apartment at the top of the mid-level escalators, and the fortress shop was at the bottom. And I got a rope around the printer and dragged it behind me uh, up the escalators, and uh, and and then set up on a little desk, and that was the beginning of. Uh, of of uh, of my time in Hong Kong and um, yeah, as anybody out there who was recruiting at the time knows, you know, even if you were in a well-established market, your your clients were not recruiting. Absolutely, <laughs> and, and being it a new, was rough. Uh, new kid on the block, people were. I mean, I got laughed at by one person. Uh, <laughs> I think said, "Have you read the news?" <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, you know, you never know. You might need a lawyer. You know? um, uh, but yes, that was the beginning of that. Hey, here's a quick question for my listeners today. Did you catch my interview with Joel Slenning, where he talked about how he scaled his recruiting and staffing firm to $16 million before selling it? 
It's episode number 53, and if you've not already heard it, I recommend you check it out. The reason I bring it up is that I'm teaming up with Joel to create a mastermind group, especially for owners of seven-figure recruiting, staffing, and search firms who want to scale their business to eight figures. If that describes you, then listen closely because we're offering a free taster session on September 28th, and you're invited to come along. To register, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash scale. Again, this is exclusively for owners of fast-growing recruitment companies who are already doing a million dollars in net fee income and want to build a business that generates cash flow without you working in the business so that you could sell it someday if you wanted to. Register now at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash scale. That was, uh, I mean, the time that you're talking about where you're trying to get a new, you know, uh, office off the ground in in Hong Kong. I was going through my own personal hell because uh, I had, well, uh, like because recruiters were suffering, that means I was suffering. So, um, yeah, my business, I, I, I lost, I had basically five main clients that I got almost all my revenue from. And, you know, in that, you, you were talking about the glory days, like in the run up to the recession and recruiting firms were growing so fast, they almost couldn't hire enough recruiters. Um, and they'd be getting me in and say, hey, Mark, come in. We've got new, you know, new people starting, come and train them. I was like, there's there's one company here in Edinburgh called, uh, called Change. And I was in there a couple of days a week, you know, just on an ongoing basis. And then other companies that there's uh, Amoria Bond in Manchester. I was in their Manchester office and in their Amsterdam office back and forth. And, um, and then like that just completely ground to a halt and companies started laying people off to their credit, Amoria Bond, who I will ever, always be grateful for. They were the one client that kept me going. Cause they just, you know, I don't know if it was, pig-headed determination, but they kept growing through the through the recession. Everyone else was laying people off or at least freezing, you know, their growth. But um, so I kept Amoria Bond, but everyone else went away. So my income like plummeted, which was, uh, which was pretty scary. I had two kids, a third on the way. I was like, how the hell am I going to pay my mortgage? So, um, but it, you know, uh, it turned out, it didn't feel like it at the time, but it turned out to be a real positive for the business because it forced me to re totally re engineer what I was doing, how I was marketing. Um, that led me to doing more of this kind of stuff, webinars, virtual training. So I could train people all over the world, not just in the UK. And, um, also to really figure out digital marketing and, and have a marketing machine that would just run constantly. Cause the problem I'd run into is the classic one, you know, when you're, in charge of both business development and delivery, and then you get really busy and you're focusing on delivery, then you take your foot off the gas pedal for, for BD and then, which is fine as long as the repeat business keeps keeps going, but you know all good things come to an end. And then um, I had to figure out how do I keep leads coming in even when I'm you know doing the work and that was a whole new chapter, which I've kind of perfected over the last uh, 12 years or so. But sorry for that, it's massive. No, no, it shows um, how resilient you've been. And I think that's what's, you know, the, 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 and hopefully today on the, this podcast, we can both share some, some of the, the things that we both know about being resilient. Because I think there's nothing quite like a recession that you don't even know that's coming to, yeah. to make you really think on your feet about where, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, you had a Moria Bond and I had our offshore clients, um, Appleby and Ma- Maples and Walkers, who, you know, who thankfully, whilst I was new to the city, that when they started to look like a little upturn, um, there was, uh, you know, they, they stuck with us and, and, and got us through some, some very dark times. And I think, you know, it teaches you all about customer care and, it, and, and to look after your, you know, your golden clients, et cetera. But uh, yeah, no, it's very, it was a very, very difficult time. And I think, you know, uh, uh, but it has anyone who, anyone that I think has been through that has, has also yeah. weathered 
the the, the recent COVID um, recession uh, quite well as well. But uh, yeah, that totally. was that that was. Um, that was yeah, 2009, 2010, and then it just flew by, really. But then 2012, things got a bit hairy because I think, if you remember, I think that was around the time that, that Greece had a lot of problems, the European Union was going through a lot of issues. And anyone who's been in Hong Kong that's listening to this will know that the, that the HKSE, the, the stock exchange, is very volatile, but it really... Well, it certainly used to determine the mood of the city. If the HKSC is up, then everyone's booming and everything's great. But, you know, these things change on a daily basis, which makes Hong Kong actually quite a neurotic place to do business, but wonderful at the same time. Um, and, and, you know, 2012 was, was a particularly difficult time in terms of, um, <clears throat> you know, a sort of almost like a mini recession almost, you know, where... where um, but I think what that taught me as well was, uh, you know, how quickly your clients and all your clients can pull the plug on hiring. Like you yes. said, we said, yeah, 2009, uh, 2008, 2009, that, that, there was obvious reasons for that. But, but what I found in, uh, in 2012 as well is that there are such things as localized recessions, if you, if you want to call it, for want of a better term. And you've got to yes. be really geared up for that. And I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to get across in this uh, recording today was that I have made so many mistakes, but I've learned <laughs> from every single one. And I think... Um, for example... Well, oh, well, I've got, oh, all right, where, where, where do we start? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, th- I think it's important, before I go into actual details, oh, I, okay, think, that's fine. I think it's really important to know that, you know this because you, you're, in the, you're in the industry, but there are, I don't know, how many, how many recruitment firms are there in the, in the world? Let's say a million, right? You know, most of them are, are like, you know, like the size that we are at the moment, which is an SME, you know. I mean, the, the vast majority, I think they say, the stats say, are between 5 and 15 people, you know, and, and, and the, you know, largely the, um, the, the owner is still recruiting and still the main biller. And, and, yep. and, and so we're all in it together, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, uh, we all face similar challenges. And I think, yeah, I mean, you take 2012, for example, one of the things that we don't, we had, I had done in 2010 and 2011 was because things were going well is I'd really staffed up, you know, I mean, we, um, we had your, uh, audio CDs. Um, and if I could find someone talented in, they came, uh, you know, uh, plonk them down, put them in front of a computer, listening to your CDs and away we go. And, and so I probably, that's one of the first occasions where I'd overstaffed and, mm. and, and, you know, and then when a localized recession or a localized dip came along, I found myself in, you know, in, 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 in trouble, you know, with underperforming consultants and, and too many of them. Um, we made a, 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 we made a few moves and shrunk down and, and got really focused on just a small amount of people. Uh, and that, and that rode us through and that really, really worked. But, that was one of the, the the mistakes I made, where where I think ego takes over a lot. You know, I'm sure there's there's business owners out there that will admit to themselves that in, in times that you know you want to be the biggest. You look at you know Hudson and Page and Walters and go, well, I can do that. I can I can be like that. I can be listed one day, um, and uh, and you know maybe not. Um, so <laughs> uh, so I think that you know. That was certainly one of the one of the mistakes that I've made. So, Rob, you, you like mentioned them. to me in your in your notes that um, in 2016 you had grown to about 25 people, expensive offices, high salaries, and um, and then realized that it was not sustainable. It wasn't profitable. Needed to be re, uh, you know, uh, yeah. reorganized. This is, quite a big, this is quite a big one. Yeah, and I think this is something that. That uh, you know, I know from the fact that I work still, we still work the Hong Kong market. I know that there's competitors of out out there uh, of ours who, uh, who who and candidates as well have come to me and said, "Oh, I thought you guys collapsed. You know, I thought are you still around?" Kind of, thing. and uh, so I, I do feel that the 
that, that maybe the, the truth uh, wasn't, hasn't necessarily been put out there. But yeah, 2016, personally, I was going through a very tough time because uh, I'm, my mother was sadly uh, passing away and, oh. and she was in the UK and I was in Hong Kong, obviously. So I spent a lot of time on a plane um, and coming back and forth. I'm the only child as well, so I was very, very close to mum. And so that was really messing with everything. I mean, you know, these things happen to us business owners, right? As we get older, you know, life sadly gets in the way sometimes. And that, the, and then you, that magnified with the issues that we were having. I say we, I was having in the business. I had grown the, the business too fast. Um, we, we had a number of offices that just weren't operating. Um, I was trying in many cases, to buy my way out of trouble by starting new desks, starting new offices, and not really, I mean, by that point, and this is nothing personal, your DVDs had been lost. I, uh, we didn't have that structure that we had at the beginning of terms of people learning the way to do it, the GRM way. Ego, massive ego going on in my head about, you know, we can be, you know, the biggest in Asia and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we just grew too rapidly with the wrong people and the wrong structure. And whilst we, on the surface, we looked really successful, um, we, I, I use the analogy, well, the, the, the explanation that it was kind of all built on sand. And, you know, and when times got tough, the markets dipped again. I was completely distracted with my own personal uh, situation. I, I, didn't, I didn't react well enough and quick enough. So when I was on one of my many trips back to the UK, I looked at the business and just went, we can't sustain this. This, this is unsustainable. Now, the four years, no, not the four years, maybe the six years prior to that, 2010 to 2016, anyone who was in Singapore or Hong Kong will know this in recruitment, that it boomed. Rector Rex went, exploded across the scene. You know, mm -hmm. people were just chasing any talent and the salaries went ridiculous. You know, the, uh, and, and, and I hope that they're under control now. Salaries were extremely high, mainly because Hong Kong is really expensive to live in. Um, I think at one time it was the most expensive place to have an office and, and rent a house. Wow. You know, uh, and, and, then, and then when you're a company like uh, ours, you have to really compete on, uh, on commissions as well. So we were really, whilst we were making a load, I mean, I think we, we went from a million US to three million to five million very, very quickly, um, we, uh, which brought us to the attention of one of your former podcast uh, guests, James Kahn, and I started speaking to him. Um, the structure really wasn't there. And we... Um, so I just basically, on my, one of my many trips back, I just thought, whilst my head wasn't really in the game because of my dear mother, um, I, said, I just said, this is unsustainable. We had, I don't even know, I can't even do the pound equivalent, but we had a huge office that was really expensive. Everyone was on high salaries. Uh, you know, and then the moment it started to dip, and also don't forget as well, ego had got involved. I was hiring people, not because of they were the right culture fit, but because I was up against our competitors for them. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's what us business owners sometimes do, the mistakes we make. We go, no, I'm going to get him. And I treated it like a, I was running a soccer club with uh, getting <laughs> the, the latest signing in, the star striker. No idea whether that guy was going to work out, and ultimately they didn't. So I just looked at it and thought, no, this has to change. And what I really wanted to do, I had to do... I had to make dramatic moves because I really wanted to get it really scaled down. I actually really wanted Hong Kong to become like uh, a commission-only uh, office um, where people would just take the lion's share of the fee and they would utilize our brand and our, and, uh, and our terms of business and things like that. And, um, and ultimately, that is exactly what happened. And I'm very pleased with the results because we still work the market. We still have huge clients we recruit for and wonderful, and it's all great. Um, however, I, one, of the big, you know, uh, one of the biggest regrets I have in business is how I handled it and how I got there. Because then lots of people, not everybody, but lots of people quit, went sideways, said that, you know, told the market whatever they wanted to tell the market. That, and then also at the same time, 
I was leaving to move to South Africa because, you know, I wanted our future to be in, on the African continent. Um, so it, if I'm brutally honest with you, Mark, it looks a little bit like I jumped ship from a, from a sinking boat, but we really didn't. Uh, you know, we're still going. We're still uh, – the, the, the office, in, uh, uh, the, the presence we have in Hong Kong is smaller but, but good, well-run by, uh, uh, you know, experienced people. I'm still heavily involved. I still have my client base. And, uh, and, you know, at some point in the future, we may well look to grow it again. But I probably wouldn't Amazing. have an office space. It would probably be we work and, 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 and go the way that we have been going for the last five years. So, yes, I mean, again, I don't know whether that well, hopefully will, uh, you know, ring some bells with some of your listeners who, who also totally. try to grow their company have not uh, or have grown too fast and shrunk it and, you know, all the things that we go through to be to learn that resilience. Absolutely. What looking back over that uh, that situation, Rob? Like, if you could go back and advise your younger self, what would you do differently? Um, Good point. Really good question. Because I there's a number of things I think, uh, and this is um, something I said to a, a small business owner in America the other day, who I happened to be chatting to who's looking, they've just started their business and they are looking to get trainers in and structure in straight away. And I said, you are doing exactly the right thing. Um, if I, when I took over the, the part, when I bought the, the two other partners out in 2013, I would have come along to my younger self then and burst the ego bubble somehow and just said, look, you're not, you're not going to be, uh, you know, Stop aiming to be a listed company. You know that you're not going to be that. Just be the best you can be. Um, I would have been. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to do it my way. Also, don't forget as well. And I'm sure you've had this with some of the people that you've coached and trained. When you get to a certain period of of, of experience, let's say for me, then it would have been, you know, 15 years or so. You you get a bit bored. You get a bit bored mm-hmm. of like the day to day and. You know, I know now that the right way to train someone is to get Mark Whitby's lessons, 12 lessons to success, and then put that in place for everybody and, and give them the scripts and give them that. But, you know, you sort of lose sight of that. So lesson to myself would have been stick to the scripts, stick to the wording and the, and the approach that, that made you a success. Remember that everything I'd learned about recruitment had been taught to me by Badenoch and Clark and just remember how they taught me back in 2003, four, five, and keep repeating it. Um, and if you're bored of training people, get someone else to do it, <laughs> to, you know, uh, and, and get someone else who isn't bored. Um, so th- these are little valuable lessons that I learned along the way. Um, don't think that you can reinvent the wheel. You're doing it just fine and really successfully like this. Um, why do you think you have to change and be like this? Um, don't grow too fast. And if you are, I mean, what's that old saying? Um, hire slow, fire fast. <clears throat> wow. I mean, I could re- do with reminding myself that a few times. What's, can you define too fast? Like how, how do you know the correct pace of growth? Cause you don't want to, yeah, um, you know, cause the opposite, a, a lot of business owners are, or the opposite, they're too conservative, they're too risk averse, and they don't grow and they, they miss they, they're capturing that opportunity to scale and build something. Well, so we it, used to have this lesson we, because, mm-hmm. uh, yes, yeah, no, you're right. And, 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 and it's a really good point. I think I used to have this thing in my head. Uh, and, and when I was with still with uh, working with Steve, we used to have a, a you know, if we because we, we were forced to look at other markets, right, because Cayman's only so big. So we would recruit for other markets like Bermuda and, and, and then look at Monaco and Dubai and wherever, uh, tax-friendly um, jurisdictions. So it kind of forced us to look further, the, further afield rather than, you know, obviously if you're in London and you recruit, you know, for accountants, then, you know, that's steady stream and you can carry on going. You don't have to look at Bristol or Manchester or Liverpool, you know. But we were kind of forced to do that. And I think uh, what I lost sight of was the old way that we used to work was if we made a placement then there, then we could build on that placement. So, you know, um, we, I would make a placement in Bermuda 
and then I would make another one and then a third one and then I would say to Steve, can I go? And then I would go and I would fly to Bermuda and then I would get there and then I would go and see all the law firms and all the council that I wanted to see and, and then get a way of working, from, you know, do the marketing, send in the salary surveys or whatever it is, come back and then that's our market. And then you can build and grow from there. Uh, we didn't open a Bermuda office, but it was certainly would have been something we, we could have done. So it was kind of build the market first from where you are, mm-hmm. utilizing all the skills you know, um, and, there, and then look at moving. Now, what I lost sight of was completely that. And I started getting, again, I'm, gonna, I'm giving myself a hard time here, but um, because some of the offices we opened were really worked, um, but that was down to the people that we hired, I think, uh, rather than... Um, rather than anything else. But, um, you know, I started looking at markets differently and thought, well, if we get there, then we can just do it and we'll, we'll be really good. And actually, that, that ultimately uh, bit me on the backside in, uh, you know, in two jurisdictions. Uh, Singapore, which we then, I, I then pulled the plug on very quickly, but Japan was where we took the biggest bath and, and, and went back again and again and kept hiring the wrong people and didn't put the right structures in place, didn't put the right training in place, as I've said again, and didn't, and didn't have a market before moving in there. Um, right. And that's the biggest mistake I made. Whereas with Australia, which was successful for a while, we had an office in Melbourne for a couple of years, um, we, we started making recruit, placements in Australia before looking for someone to head it up. So, um, yeah, that, was, uh, that would be my tip is, you know, is definitely to look further afield, but do the work first bef- and create the market before, um, before diving in because, yeah, every market is so diff- different. And this that, is and really, that- really good stuff. So, I mean, some of these are, you know, when you're looking in objectively, they, they seem obvious, but they're, that does not to say that they're easy. The keys that I'm taking away from this so far are you have to have the right people, right, in the first place. Number two is on sustainable comp plans. Number three, with the right training uh, and really a focus on that. And number four is having the structure um, but also building the market and creating that demand before you then um, increase your uh, team size in order to capitalize on that on that. You've market. summed it up in five really good points there. That's okay. excellent. And also I can add another one to that as well. Go for it. Something that I did really well in Cayman and I did really well in Hong Kong, but then subsequently didn't do in Japan and didn't do in South Africa when, I first, when we first opened. Uh, so luckily, we had a reboot and a re-go at it in, in, in South Africa and now doing very well. But um, in Cayman and Hong Kong, I, in the back of my mind, I knew I was a good recruiter and I knew that anybody I brought into my team would be good as well. So when I approached the clients who'd never heard of us before, I said to them, how do you want us to recruit? How and a lot of London and, and, and US and Australian agencies go into markets in a, in a very different way. And they go, we are really good. This is what we're going to do. But actually, with those two markets, I went and said, you tell me how you want us to do it. You tell me culturally how the market wants me to work, how the candidates are going to want me to speak to them, address them. And I took time to learn those markets. And in some of the other markets where we didn't work so well, uh, and like I said, in South Africa, we now get it. Is where we um, we uh, I, I walked in and completely forgot that. So that's point six: is ask people in the market how they want it to be done, rather than you imposing your brilliance on them. Uh, I think is the th- uh, and yes, the, the 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 thing you said at the beginning, point one about hiring is absolutely key. You know, don't let your ego get involved. Don't just hire because you want to be bigger than the guys next door to you. You know, you if don't it's a race to the bottom if you just keep throwing money at it and hiring the person because the other guys want him as well um you just stick rigidly to hiring the right people as opposed to anybody i did a poll on linkedin recently to find out what fee percentage recruiters charge and it confirmed what i'd learned from speaking with so many recruiters every day 
The majority of recruiters are undervaluing their service and cutting their fees to become more competitive. Listen, if you want to protect your cash flow and build reserves to protect your business against whatever might happen in the future, you need to be earning more for each placement, not less. The challenge, of course, is how to increase your fees and still be competitive. iIntro has helped hundreds of recruiters to make small but critical adjustments to the way they pitch and win business so they can win more clients who are also willing to pay higher fees. For example, one of their clients typically earned £5,000 per placement. But just a few weeks after working with iIntro, she won a new piece of business on a retainer, so in other words, she got a deposit, and her fee was an incredible £20,000, four times her average. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained and book a free consultation. There's no obligation, and if you mention that you're a listener of the Resilient Recruiter podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount off any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. I feel like each of these points that you've made in and of itself is uh, it's a competency that as an owner, you must develop. It's not easy. It's challenging. Like even hiring the right people into your recruitment business, that by itself is massive and needs a, a, a lot of thought, focus, um, you know, attention. It needs a, a process and a system. I, I remember Greg Savage saying, that uh, when you're excellent. interviewing, right. he's amazing. pardon me? Greg's excellent. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's awesome. Um, you know, if you interview someone and they're not a nine or a 10 out of 10, then the answer is no. Or even if you have any, if you're asking yourself, should we hire her or not? Even if you have that question mark, the answer is no. You know, you're only hiring people who are a fit for your business, for your culture that and who you um, are absolutely confident are going to perform. Also, don't forget this, and this is for all business owners in recruitment. Um, Get help. Like, you know, I mean, I left Badenock and Clark. I wasn't even a manager, right? So I had no management training. I then went to Cayman. We were so successful. I became a manager just by hiring people because we had so much work on. So I learned by default and, you know, Steve kindly gave me some guidance on that as well. But I never did any lessons or, or, or had any uh, training programs. Then when we started building a team, again, I used your fantastic training, which was great, and, but then lost sight of that. And, that, and that's crazy because, you know, you, the, the, you can always learn from other business owners. You can always learn from other – I mean, recruitment is full of experts like yourself you know, that can really, really help people. And I, I think, again, back to the ego thing, I thought maybe I thought in many cases I could do this. And as we were kept winning awards and, kept, you know, I kept looking at the turnover and kept thinking, well, you know, obviously I'm doing something right. It was almost impossible to tell me that we weren't, that I didn't have the, the secret sauce. But actually, <laughs> when times are tough, it's actually those mentors, that training program with you, coaching with you, you know, these are the things that you that you um, uh, that you can will will give you the skills to to navigate the next localized or global dip. Uh, uh, so yeah, whilst it sounds like a cheesy line, anybody out there that's a business owner listening to this, never stop learning and really get help even before you think you need it. Amazing! You've actually beautifully teed up a little commercial here for me, Rob. Um, I'm collaborating with a uh, a former podcast guest called Joel Slenning. Uh, he was episode fifty three. Uh, I invited him to talk about how he scaled his staffing firm to sixteen million and then sold it. He's now b- building a retained search firm, and um, so we are putting together a program specifically aimed at owners of seven figure recruiting, staffing, and search firms who want to scale to eight figures. And we're offering a free taster session in a couple of weeks' time, so people can register for that uh, by visiting recruitmentcoach.com forward slash scale. So, Rob, in the few minutes we've got left, we've not really – we talked about Hong Kong. We've not talked about Africa. Like, mm. what um, – I know your, your, your wife 
is South African. So that was obviously a strong reason to go there. But um, tell me that chapter of the business and what you what you've achieved and also what you've learned from from doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so South Africa was one of the ones we've got really right. Um, uh, yes, I was coming here on holiday because my wife is from here, and and and, uh, but also, luckily for me, a lot of her family is uh, in the legal sphere. Her father was a a, a judge before he retired. Uh, both my sisters-in-law are both partners of law firms. So the legal, whenever we would come here, the legal sphere and the sector would be something that we would, that I would be in and I would know. And, and I was doing my research all the while. Then um, just talking to clients as well in Asia, you know, when whenever the conversation would come around about growth, everybody would be, even back in 2012, 13, where Africa's the next one, Africa's the next continent, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, uh, we would go on to discuss the many uh, uh, countries within Africa and the challenges that the continent faces. But anyway, uh, and I've always, you know, as I'm sure your listeners can can attribute, uh, I've always been one, like, I like a challenge and I like going into these little uh, weird and wonderful places, which is great. But so we got, so, in, but then again, it went back to having the right person. And, uh, and I met a guy uh, who's no longer working for us, but he was a, a lawyer by education, and then he t- spent a bit of time in recruitment and wanted to get back into recruitment. And uh, and I figured uh, he was the perfect person to kick us kickstart us in 2014, and and it went quite well. Um, but I think you know when I knew that I was moving here, I gave him plenty of notice, and I said, look, um, you know I'm coming. And we, and you know, whilst you've been effectively country manager, you know, he looked at me, I looked at him, and he said, "No, I don't. I kind of like being on my own." And, you know, anyway, long story short, he left recruitment. He's now doing wonderful things at one of our law firm clients. But um, but before that, we just saw that there is a again an opportunity. I, I had to learn quickly. We we again we. We made a, an initial mistake about not finding out how culturally people like to work. We were more trying to do it the GRM way and, um, um, and, and actually then rebooted re, re, went, uh, and then uh, and really looked at, not, not a relaunch, but we, we started again. We focused very much on the senior end, so it's all, uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's a lot more search and much more research-based. So it's less contingent, which sits with our model very well. Um, and really, it was just about um, you know uh, finding markets that are that are growing. Now, I, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore. I mean, what an amazing places to go into as a recruiter. You know, the the market's already there. It's well established. The clients are there. Um, South Africa, not so much, you know, and, and we're doing a bit of work in Kenya at the moment and, uh, and some um, Senegal uh, and other countries as well. And, and you know, they, it, they're very much emerging markets. They're very, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know. The, 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 um, I don't know, I could talk about it for hours, but they're, 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 they are tricky markets where I'm learning a lot about myself. I'm getting back to basics. The team I have is fantastic. They're you know very hardworking and willing to take on uh, new roles and responsibilities and learning, and that's great. Um, and still, we're focusing on Asia as well. But you know, Africa is a place where I I thought um, we you know quite simply uh, we we can make a difference, and we are doing really really great work here. And on top of that. You know, I was looking from from a business perspective. I was looking for uh, a growth over the next ten years, really, and and I figure that you know this is a continent made up of fifty four countries. All that are uh, there's a huge amount of foreign direct investment, as anybody knows that reads the newspapers. Um, uh, and you know, there's also a, a heavy uh, Chinese influence, which is uh, you know certainly in business, which you know sits with our Asia Africa connection. So that works really well, um, but yeah, like every country and every move, you know, it's it's not a you know you got to get used to where you live. It's not easy. You got to make new friends. Got to send the kids to school and and that, you know that kind of thing. So yeah, it's been an interesting challenge so far, 
and um, and one I'm uh, you know I feel like we're we really are just at the beginning of you know we're really I feel like I may have been here nearly five years but I feel like I'm really just at the beginning of our journey here and um, and I've got to try and remember all the things that I've just said to you in this podcast about learning <laughs> about from my mistakes of not trying to do it too quickly not trying to do it too fast not getting into a rush just remember steady slowly build um, and do and create the market before moving there and, and that kind of thing so yes I've got a lot to learn but uh, and a lot a long way to go Rob what's the sort of size and shape of GRN uh, search right now we in size and shape so we have a number of uh, what I call external consultants uh, where, where commission only uh, very senior people that we can sort of share mandates with in Hong Kong, uh, Munich in Germany and in the UK uh, right. and a couple here in South Africa as well. Uh, where, and then we have a, we have a different, a new, a new company, well not a new company, a company that's two years old, which is the brand behind me, Jerome Intelligence, which focuses on business and market research in Africa. <clears throat> that's headed up by my colleague, Rain Handley, and she's doing an amazing job of building a good team, but that's a separate business. But they also support us on the, on the rec recruitment front. And I've now got a, um, three other people assisting me in, in, in my work in Asia and Africa. And we're looking to grow. But again, we're going to be looking to grow in the right way with the right people, with the right training products. You know, you'll have to send me copies of those DVDs again, and we'll go and, and then that way. And then, you know, we're, so we're looking to grow and build, but slowly and surely, and probably, uh, and probably in our core markets uh, uh, going forward in Asia and, and Africa. Amazing. So, what's the main thing that you've learned from the experience of launching in uh, Africa? Then, um, the main thing. I have learned. Um, I would say that, and I, I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself, but we focused, and I, and I think maybe COVID has helped with this as well. Uh, and, and, you know, if we could take any positives away from the, the pandemic, and, and I'm loath to, obviously, because so many people have suffered, but we, we have, I've spent a long time looking at what we do looking internal procedures, looking at the way that we recruit, getting a standard operating procedure together so that people know, you know, we can get people in and train them in the right way, that they say this, they do this. If the person says, yes, go this way, if the person says, you know, that's taken a long time to put together and it's still being put together. Um, I think the one thing that that's given me an opportunity to really look at, at the strength and, 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 and put the foundations in place of the business. And, that, and now, uh, and again, like I said, sorry, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but now no, the, one, the, the one takeaway that I'm, I'm, I can take away from, the, from South Africa and then some of the other African markets that we're, we're, um, we're working in now is um, I've, take your time to understand how that country wants you to do business. Take your time and get there, get to know people, uh, and get to know what, get to know the culture of the country, um, and really invest in the country. You know, Africa is a as a continent, and I'm loath to keep using the term Africa because there are 54 very different countries in, in on on this big rock. Um, uh, every one of them is wanting to grow. Every one of them are wanting to build, but each one of them comes with their own challenges from a business and professional services perspective. Um, and, you know, just I, we're going to be taking our time, offering our service, um, uh, you know, keeping our service top drawer, 100% excellent platinum level service. And some customers will want that, some clients will want that, and, then some, and some won't. In some countries it will work, in some countries it won't work. But don't, we're not going to overstretch it, and we're just going to do it nice and, nice and calmly and carefully and, uh, and be in it for the long haul. And and uh, and try not to get wrapped up in the in the in the rat race for for global domination. As sometimes it can happen when uh, you know in, in bigger cities like Hong Kong and Singapore and London. 
Amazing. Awesome. So listen, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Rob. And um, Me too. what's it's brilliant, you know, yeah, I, 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 we should have done this sooner. I'm glad that we finally have, uh, have done it now and appreciate all, you know, your honesty and transparency about, I mean, you've had some phenomenal successes, you know, number one uh, legal recruiter in, you know, in Hong Kong and, you know, then opening international offices, building a, you know, a, a, a great business. And I really appreciate you also sharing, you know, the, the, the tough times and the adversity you faced and some of the hard lessons you've uh, learned. No, thank you. No, no. I mean, you know, I, I listen to your podcast uh, every week, and I love it. And and I just thought that there's so many people in our wonderful industry out there like me, uh, who've had, you know, or or people who want to have big successes like like I've managed to to have, but but um, behind that is a lot of trials and tribulations and mistakes and slips and. You know, I mean, I, I look at, you know, I love listening to your podcast, as I said. And, you know, I love listening to the positive messages that come out of how to make a, you know, 20 million, you know, not quite in a month, but, you know, how to build, <laughs> you know, uh, build, and, and they're so fantastic. But also at the same time, behind those stories is a lot of ish, a lot of mistakes and a lot of slip ups. And, 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 I, and I think it's important for business owners like myself to go out there and realize you're not on your own. There is a lot of people out there that have done exactly the same. But if you keep being resilient, to use your term, and if you keep working hard and you keep loving this amazing business that we're in, which I absolutely love, you know, uh, and you keep really driving yourself every day you, and have fun with it, that's what you've got to remember as well. You know, you've got to have fun with this industry. Uh, then they can also be a success. Beautiful. Well said, Rob. Awesome. Look, have a fantastic day and uh, I'll speak to you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here. Real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.